What's up, y'all? Welcome back into the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Tanner Demling here with y'all. As always, first and foremost, hope everyone here had a safe, happy, and healthy Thanksgiving. So able to spend time with their families. Secondly, might have been a holiday week. And compared to last week, don't have as much lacrosse news to talk about. But we certainly had enough to fill a show tonight. Um, book show, packed show, as always. We'll end with the mailbag. Got a lot of good questions submitted in there. Once again, as always, you can submit your questions. DM us on Twitter at Tanner underscore Dimling at Lacrosse Bucket. Also on Instagram at Lacrosse Bucket. And then on uh, just send in the email. I think it's lacrossebucket at gmail.com. Um, is what it is. I'll have all that info down in the show notes as well. Ended with the mailbag, but we're starting off here with some news and notes from the week, particularly on the recruiting trail, some moves that happened uh, pertaining both Virginia and Notre Dame this past week or so as well as a pair of schedules that were released this week. Loyola and Air Force both putting those schedules out this past week, so we'll break those down. Uh, But as I mentioned, got to get started here with some recruiting talk. And, uh, you know, most importantly here with the, you know, back-to-back national champions, the Virginia Cavaliers. Uh, where, you know, Wallace Tiffany, head coach of said national champions, defending national champions, landed, I mean, you know, got, got the week off to a pretty big start with uh, landing a pretty impressive offensive pair in the 2023 class as um, senior midfielder Luke Pisani out of the Benjamin School down in sunny Florida, verbaled to the Cavaliers on Tuesday night, and then on Wednesday night, excuse me, on Monday night, then on Tuesday night, you had Episcopal Virginia junior attackman Colin uh, Dillinger announcing his plans to stay home, play for his state's flagship school, Both 2023s, both four-star players, according to Inside Lacrosse. A pair of big gets for the Cavaliers. Pisani, originally a 2022 commit to Army, decommitted, reclassified, now heading to Charlottesville, and really... When you look at this midfield class, and I don't you know, we've talked about some of these impressive, you know, Princeton, for instance, is, is one I've talked about on here, that 
really in the 2023 class, has got a loaded midfield haul. Um, Virginia, and the overall numbers might not be what you see at a Princeton or some of these other programs. But this is a pretty impressive, not just midfield um, haul in this class, but just offensive haul in general. You get Pisani, six foot one, one eighty five ish midfielder, uh, who you know just just an exceptional athlete, very exceptional athlete, um, more so of of a downhill dodger, um, can be an outside shooter as well. Just really knows how to get to the rack. Uh, and, and in addition to, to that, just really plays a gritty style of lacrosse that allows him to be an impact player in between the lines, in the riding game, and if needed on the back end as an SSDM, short stick defender. Very much, you, know, you watch his film, if you see him in person play, if you see him on film play, very much fits what we've seen from Virginia midfielders very much fits, and I'm not I'm not comparing Pisani to this player, but very much reminds me of a Docs Aiken-ish type guy. Oh, excuse me, a Ryan Conrad-ish guy, I should say, not Docs Aiken. Um, very much reminds you of of a Ryan Conrad type guy who can go both ways, uh, but is primarily an offensive guy. And uh, really, Pisani, again, an exceptional athlete. Exceptional athlete. Um, and really, you pair him with Will Erdman uh, out of Brunswick and Willis Burt, who, you know, Erdman and Burt are both, Burt especially, blazing speed. Like, blazing speed. Erdman is a bit, I, I would say, twitchier than Burt. And Pisani, but all three just athletic. I don't want to say specimens, but but just athletic bodies at the midfield, adding to this Cavaliers class. That's the three midfielders: Pisani, Will Erdman out of Brunswick, and then Willis Burt out of Haverford up in Pennsylvania. That is a very, very athletic bunch there. And like, like I mentioned before, you look at some of these other classes, Princeton in particular, and people have been talking about, look how athletic, look how talented that midfield bunch is. Virginia, this crop might not get as much buzz as some of these other classes, but you just take those three guys right there, and that is a very, very athletic group at the midfield. Very impressive haul at that midfield spot. Dillinger, the other commit to Virginia this past week, is the only attackman in the class. Um, and if you ever watched him play, and I've seen both Pisani and Dillinger play um, once or twice on film, full game, um, as well as just watching highlights and seeing clips. Dillinger 
one of the smoothest releases in high school lacrosse you'll see. A lefty, you know, really great off-ball guy. Really great off-ball guy. Knows how to get himself open and put the ball in the back of the net. And then also, I mentioned how this midfield crop they've got in this class, 2023 class, has some speed and athleticism to it. Dillinger also brings that. Good amount of boast, good amount of quickness that allows him to tap into it when needed, you know, and really can make him difficult to cover whether he has the ball in his stick or not. Uh, So a good get there as well. He helped lead his high school team to a a Virginia State title this season. Undefeated Virginia State title, I believe, uh, there uh, in Episcopal. Uh, Really, just really big, big shooter, big lefty shooter. Um, You know, I, I don't really have any player comparisons. And really, you know, I don't like doing player comparisons because, you, you, you know, it's hard to live up to those all the time. Um, and uh, so I don't do that a lot. But uh, certainly when you can make the player comparisons, you do. But, you know, really, I can't think off the top of my head a player comparison for Dillinger, but just unbelievable shooter there. Um, and, you know, good to know he's the second in-state guy they're getting in this class as uh, also along with collegiate uh, Virginia LSM slash defenseman Eli Petty. Uh, They also had two in the 22 class with Timmy Myers, uh, who was a former Navy commit at the midfield. Uh, Very much similar style of play, I would say, to Pisani there. Myers is... um, a bit more on the defensive end. I mean, I know they want to play him more on that side early on in his career. Um, and then John Schroeder out of Riverside in Virginia. So that's what four uh, in-state guys, uh, talented in-state guys for the Wahoos in the past two classes. Uh, now moving on to Notre Dame, uh, they pulled off, I don't really want to call this a flip, but uh, they got a commitment from Will, uh, and I hope I pronounced this right, uh, Mars, uh, out of Loyola Academy in Illinois. He is an attackman, so get a commitment out of him. Uh, a former Yale commit, uh, decommits from Yale, and then chooses to go with the Irish and um to be honest, I've never seen uh, Miles play in person, but I, but I've certainly seen. Well, I've never seen a full game of his, but I've certainly seen clips. Certainly, have seen his highlights, and um, it it's impressive, very impressive. Um, he's a four star, according to Inside Lacrosse, in the twenty twenty two class. Um, so a senior. Excuse me, a senior now at Loyola Academy there in uh, Illinois. Another just really good, really fast, really uh, quick, speedy type attackman can get to the cage. Really, you watch his highlight tape, 
And again, I haven't seen him play a full game or anything like that, but just watching his highlight tape, you, you know, one of those kids, you, you, you know, he can ball, you know, he, you know, has that potential, has the ceiling to be successful at the next level. So a big pickup there for uh, the Eilish uh, there in the 2022 class. So a big week on the recruiting trail for both Virginia and Notre Dame per ACC's there. Moving on to the schedule releases that we saw this week, both Loyola and Air Force released their schedules, and we will get into that next. Loyola became the first Patriot League team to release their schedule on Tuesday of this week. And, um, you know, the, 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 the biggest takeaway, and like, you know, biggest takeaway for me, honestly, we have no Virginia game. Like, and is the thing, like, Loyola, Virgi- Loyola, Virginia, this is a series that has been, you know, in recent memory. So, from 2014 to this past year, they've played every year. Um, and, like, this is a series where they'd play, like, historically, they first met in 1938. And they played a couple of years. You, know, you, 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 you took about a 10, 7-year period off. You play a couple of years in the 50s, uh, you take about a 20 years off. You play about five, five straight games in the 80s, a couple in the 90s, and, you know, then they take off. They pick the series back up in 2014. You play 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Played twice in 2018, actually. 2019, 2020 even. And then even 2021 they played. And this really had been a, a really good series. With the exception of 2019 and, uh, yeah, actually with the exception of 2019 and 2016, where Loyola pretty much smoked them, um, smoked the Cavaliers in, in those two games. It had been a really good series, and uh, I'm very unfortunate that we're not going to get to see that series continue this year. Hopefully, they can get it back on the schedule uh, in 2023. Because really, for a lot of people, and, and I know this is something that 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 people would tell me all the time, is like, "Look, I know it's lacrosse season when I see Loyola in Virginia play." Like, that is kind of the game that you circle as, like, okay, it is lacrosse season. And it ha- it really had been. It had really been a really good series that we'd had for the past, you know, what, almost decade now. And, um, you know, just, just disappointing to not see that happen. But, however, they that, that game does get replaced with a in-state contest uh, that we haven't seen well, we, we haven't seen since 2015 title game uh, in Loyola, Maryland. And we're going to get to see them play as the Greyhounds open the season at Maryland. Um, that, that'll be a very, very interesting game uh, to see how that goes. Uh, both teams, obviously, you know, looking to be the top. In their conference, both teams having or appearing to have championship weekend potential. 
It's a very good, very good early season matchup there on February 12th. They will then go to Johns Hopkins and, uh, you know, Charles Street Battle of Charles Street, Charles Street Massacre, whichever side you're on, whatever you call it. Uh, they meet for the 58th time. Obviously didn't get to see it last year uh, with the Big Ten uh, in the conference only scheduling for Johns Hopkins, but back at it again this year. And uh, this is a series that recently, I mean, you know, I said Charles Street Massacre is one of the names of it. There's a pretty good reason why Hopkins fans would call it that. <laughs> um, they have a, what is it? A, I mean, the Greyhounds are 6-1 and one, um, against the Blue Jays since 2013. But that's really the only success they've had from 2013 to now. Oh, to 2020, I should say, um, because they only won one, two, three, three games before that, and they've met, uh, I think, every year since 1939. So um, this is a nine. This is a 48 to nine series lead for Johns Hopkins. Obviously. Recent history is all that matters. Uh, six and one Loyola since 2013. Didn't play this past year, so uh, we'll see if the Greyhounds can make it seven to one. I think this is going to be one of the again. It's it's a rivalry game. We get up for it. Everyone does, um, and even more so now than with both these teams being, uh, you know, with with this game actually being a. a competitive one and not just to mark it up for Hopkins anymore. Um, this is going to be an interesting game because and I've not seen Hopkins' schedule, um, but assuming this is a early season game for them as well, well, it's February 19th, it'll be early season, but assuming this is the you know, second or third game however, if they play midweek or whatever, this will be interesting because, and, and and again, don't have Hopkins' schedule, but assuming whoever they play first um, is, is a, you know, quote-unquote cupcake or not as talented as Loyola, I should say. This will be a big test for Peter Millman and, and that staff because we saw what they did late last season, how they started to put things together. This will be a big test for, for for Hopkins to see, okay, how do you do against one of the best? We saw them against a rival in Maryland last year, what they did in that Big Ten title game. Can they keep that going against another top-tier, top-quality opponent in Loyola, another rivalry opponent in Loyola as well? So that, that one's always interesting there. Um, and then... Loyola, their third and fourth games of the season are both non-conference as they open up at home on the 26th of February against Rutgers, and then they host Towson on the 2nd 
of March, which is a Wednesday, so another midweek uh, Loyola-Towson matchup. Uh, obviously a rivalry game there. Uh, with Rutgers, obviously, both teams looking to uh, you know have good seasons again. Both teams looking to get to championship weekend, uh, looking to, you know, be top teams in the conference. Going to be another inter- uh, you know, interesting Patriot League Big Ten battle, you know, right after facing Hopkins. So that'll be another interesting one there. Loyola and Towson. Uh, this is one where, you know, you look at last season and um, the, the, the two squads here, they've split the past two meetings. Last season, the Tigers won in overtime. In 2020, Loyola boat raced Towson. 15-6 wasn't even a game. Wasn't even a game. Um, this year, I would expect that to be much more like last season. Towson brings a lot of guys back. Loyola brings a lot of guys back. Going to be an interesting one. As usual, you know, as we've come to expect, I don't expect a blowout in that one at all. Loyola will then open conference play at Lafayette, but they do have another uh, two other interesting conference, non-conference games once Patriot League play starts. They host Duke on March 12th, and they play at Georgetown on April 19th. Now, Duke Obviously, being a top a top tier ACC opponent, um, and a team that you know, these two have played uh, pretty regularly, um, really since two thousand and I mean they've played regularly looking since two thousand. They've played yeah, they've played every single year since two thousand. Um, Loyola has not beaten Duke since that 2016 uh, first-round game, uh, really, which for a lot of people would say was kind of Pat Spencer's coming-out party, um, especially in terms of the NCAA tournament. When they took Duke to town uh, in that first-round matchup. So, and, and, and remember, these two played last season in the postseason, NCAA tournament game, um, as Loyola, you know, falls to Duke in the quarterfinals, which gets Duke into championship weekend. It's a 10-9 game. Um, This is going to be one that a lot of people circle there in March as an early March matchup. Um, Again, Coming off a meeting in the NCAA quarterfinals, uh, it was a ten to nine game. Duke takes it. Um, could easily have gone. I mean, so literally, Loyola was one goal away, or an overtime away. How you want to say it from championship weekend? Duke's the team that stood in their way. You can, you know, you know, bet your money that Loyola will have that one circled, and this one is at Loyola, so uh, I think even bigger to host that team at home. Um, the Georgetown game, you know, this was the really Loyola, the Greyhounds. They 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 had this big swing 
like they were very inconsistent for most of the season. But late in the season, they hit this hot streak. And really, Georgetown is, I think, where a lot of people, you know, turned some heads and said, okay, this is a team that can play. The Greyhounds, they upset the Hoyas 11-9, eventual Big East champions, in their regular regular season finale. And really, that win, you could argue, got Loyola into the NCAA tournament. Um, So, big win for them last year. Both these teams look pretty similar this year as well. So, expecting another good one. And uh, these two are very familiar. Um, They've played all but a few seasons since 1970. Um, you know, they go head-to-head again um, late in the season in 2022. Should be another highly anticipated. You, you don't often get to see a lot of highly high-quality non-conference games in April, and, you know, this is one of them. So certainly one to circle there. And then the, 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 the one, obviously... You know, Loyola, the Patriot League's returning to regular scheduling. They open conference play at Lafayette on March 5th. They'll then host Bucknell on the 19th and Army on the 26th. They're at Holy Cross on April 2nd, at Navy on April 9th, host Boston U on the 16th. On the 19th, you have that game against Georgetown. And then you close out the season at Colgate, and then you host Lehigh. And really, that Lehigh game is the one to circle in non-conference pl- in conference play. Um, the Greyhounds are fifteen and one against Lehigh all time. That sole loss came last season, as the Mountain Hawks came into Ridley, went into the Ridley Athletic Complex. Be the Greyhounds t- ten to six. The two were supposed to play a second time in the Patriot League title game, but a positive case of uh, COVID nineteen inside the Loyola program canceled that game. Um, you you know Lehigh will always have twenty twenty one Patriot League champions. With an asterisk. Loyola looks at that asterisk and says, that could be us. And so, again, both these teams are going to be the top two teams in the Patriot League. So, certainly, consequences for both sides could be at play in this game. But to close out the season, the regular season against Lehigh at home, you know, for Coach Toomey and, and the Greyhounds, I, I think they're looking at the schedule and saying, what an opportunity. Like, what an opportunity. Close out against the team that was in the spot that really you wanted to be in prior to the NCAA tournament. We can go get them. They beat us for the first time last year. We can go get them this year. They're at our place again. Really good opportunity, and again, it could be a preview of the Patriot League title game. Um, that will actually happen this year. So, um, 
again, just very, very big time matchup there. Moving on to the Air Force Falcons, as they released their schedule earlier this week as well, being the second, uh, but yeah, second A-Sun team to do so. Um, coming into the A-Sun first year in that conference there, along with Bellarmine, Cleveland State, Detroit Mercy, Robert Morris, also, and Utah also joining in that conference. The Falcons open the season. Now, this is really a tough stretch to open the year. So, um, they scrimmage at Notre Dame at North Carolina on January 22nd and 29th. Those are scrimmages. And they open the season at Virginia on February 5th, at Denver on February 12th, at Colgate on February 19th. And this is a Colgate team that I've said before, I think is very well positioned, has the personnel needed to be maybe that fourth best, fourth, fifth best team in the Patriot League, depending on how Army and Navy and Boston you shake out, but certainly in that second tier, very capable of being in that second tier. Very capable of maybe playing upset, you know, playing spoiler or whatever in, in, in the postseason. So, pretty decent team there. Obviously, Virginia is a good squad coming off a national title. Denver, very good squad as well, um, returning a, a, a good amount of pieces there as well, but do lose some pieces also. Going to be another year for their contending for the Big East. Um, Air Force, you got at home against Canisius, at home against Jacksonville on the 26th of February and 27th. They open up April at home against Marist um, in a, a game that really interesting one there as both teams look to be you know, top-tier uh, competitors within the conferences, respective conferences, the ASUN and the MAC. And then you're at Bryant facing the NEC champions from a year ago on March 12th. You're at Mercer on the 19th. You're at Marquette on March 26th. Um... Bryant, Marquette, obviously the two, I'd say, marquee matchups there during that little road stint. Uh, they open A-Sun play at home against Utah on February 2nd. They're on the road against Detroit Mercy. They host Cleveland State on the 16th, uh, at Detroit Mercy on the 9th, and then you're at Robert Morris on the 23rd, and then you host Bellarmine to close out the season on April 30th. The uh, Obviously, Virginia, Denver, Colgate, that's a pretty solid um, you know, opening to the season there. At Bryant, should be a tough one. At Marquette will be interesting, but uh, the two, kind of three other games I'm, I'm circling here. At Mercer, you know, the Falcons, 
and Baylor's they'll be non as as non conference opponents for the first time in a while uh, this year. Mosa they beat the Falcons last year, fifteen to thirteen in a comeback win. Uh, use a six to one uh, run in the final period of play to get that one. Um, it was the first. It was actually their first. Um, First loss to the Bears since 2018. Um, oh, excuse me. Second loss to the Bears, uh, I think, as a conference opponent last year. First since 2018. Um, and that one ended a seven-game winning streak against the Bears. Um, Falcons dominated the Bears the second-to-last contest, 20-8. to So, you know, You've gotten some close ones, some blowouts between these two teams. Um, and Mosa, with Air Force now gone from the SOCON, I expect to kind of hop into that fourth best SOCON team spot. They've got some talent on that roster, so that'll be an interesting one to see how that plays out. Uh, you open the, the conference play against Utah. Um, the Falcons have faced Utah each of their first three seasons as a Division One program. The Falcons have a 2-1 series lead over the Utes, winning each of their last two seasons, two meetings. That includes a narrow 10-9 victory in overtime. Uh, last season, uh, Gianni Orlando puts in the game winner for the Falcons, expecting a close one there as well. Um, and one really against two of the top teams in the in the A Sun that to really decide how that whole race plays out, and then to end the season against Bellarmine, who's a team that I think is looking at this new A Sun conference and saying, okay, there's an opportunity for us to hop in here to get a postseason bid, um, and these are two teams that have a history, have a recent history. Um, Air Force solely was the sole, you know, they beat Bellarmine last year, and then they go and beat Richmond in that last se- last game of the season to knock Bellarmine out of uh, postseason contention in, in in the in the SoCon. So, um, you know, I think both teams, considering how close last year's game was, and considering. You you you're moving from one conference to the other with each other. I'm expecting another close conference, close contest here against the uh, between the Knights and the Falcons. That's enough scheduled talk for the day. Let's move on to the mailbag where we have three questions that we're gonna get into tonight. As always, remember, you can submit your mailbag questions via social media or uh, email lacrossebucket at gmail.com, at lacrossebucket on Twitter and Instagram, at Tanner underscore Dimling on Twitter is my personal. You can also send questions there as well. So this first question uh, reads... Pertains to the Big Ten reads, do you believe the gap between Rutgers and Maryland shrinks in 2022? 
So if we go back and we look at Rutgers and we look at Rutgers and, and Maryland and we look at what these teams did against each other last year. So the first meeting was a 19 to 12 Maryland victory. The second meeting, a 13 to 9 Maryland victory. And then they could have played for a third time. However, you have Johns Hopkins upsetting Rutgers in that uh, first round of the Big Ten tournament. No, it was the semifinals, I believe, of the Big Ten tournament, uh, knocking them out of contention there. Oh, no, it was the quarterfinals because everybody made it this past year, and believe that will be the case again in 2022. So that will make things interesting. Um, And so first off, I I, I, I just want to say this. So, like, last year, you had the Big Ten with their conference-only schedule. It's tough to beat a team once. It's tough to beat a team twice. We saw that play out across the conference. Um, you saw games, second games against teams, be a bit closer than first games. In some cases, it was a bit wider as teams figured things out. Or in some came, some instances... You win one, you lose one. You go one and one against the team. That's how things worked out. This year, with normalcy returning, and with the only playing teams once, and you're also playing a non-conference schedule, that's going to be very interesting to see how the Big Ten plays out how the Big Ten will be viewed, I think will be a, maybe a bit different than it was last year um, in some people's eyes. I think Maryland and Rutgers are still the top two teams in this conference. Um, and look, whether the margin shrinks or not, you know, so, so first off, you know, I I think Maryland is certainly the best team in this conference. That's not even a question. Now, if you're asking me, so the second game of the season was a 4-9-10-11. Yeah, was a four-goal loss. The first game was a, uh, what is that, 12, 19-12 was a seven-game loss for Rutgers. So, but if you ask me, look, if they played again in a third time, does does that even shrink more? Does Rutgers maybe beat them? I, I don't know. That could happen. Rutgers has to replace a lot of pieces on offense. They've done that through the transfer portal. And, uh, you know, we, we've talked about that at length on here, how they've gone to the portal and they've gotten a lot of pieces. However, they also return a pretty sizable amount of players 
um, particularly on the defensive end. Now, I think when you look at, and also some, you know, maybe more depth offensively with the amount of guys they return. Um, but you have guys like Mitch Bartolo, who are coming in as, you know, a grad transfer from, from Penn. Um, you know, it. I think the gap might not be as big as it was last year. But I think there's still a gap. Like, I don't think we'll see Maryland beat Rutgers by 7, 10 goals. But there still is a, a pretty sizable gap there, to, to be honest with you. Um, I'd say maybe a three-goal gap. You know, and that might not sound that big, but I think it could be bigger. Like, I, I, I think for me the biggest question is, like, okay, does Rutgers get this offense figured out? If they can get this offense figured out, if they can address and improve at the faceoff dot, I think they can certainly shrink that gap. I think they could possibly even beat Maryland. Um, but they've got to get those two things figured out. And, you know, this question, will the gap between Rutgers and Maryland shrink? That will be better answered as we start to see games played. Uh, but certainly, I, I think it certainly can. I think it certainly can. And if things play out as planned, I think it will. I, I think it very much will. Now, I would still pick Maryland to beat Rutgers any day of the week. I'd still pick, if you ask me which Big Ten team most likely to win a national title, most likely to be their championship weekend, I would still pick Maryland nine times out of ten. But the gap between Maryland and Rutgers this year, you know, there's no Jared Bernhardt. There's no Jared Bernhardt. I think that's the gap that you're looking at. Like, really, look at just how great of a player he was, and you lose that. And yes, Wisnowskis is back, and many many other guys are back. But you lose a Tarleton winner. It's a difficult. That is irreplaceable. That is irreplaceable. You cannot replace Jared Bernhardt. So. If Bernhardt was still on this team, I'd say heck no. You know, it, it, there's still a, a pretty decent gap. But yeah, the gap does shrink. And look, you could argue the gap shrunk because it did in terms of margin of victory. It shrunk last year. So, naturally, I, I would expect it to shrink again. The only way it won't shrink is if Rutgers does not figure out this offense. This newish look offense with these transfers they got coming in. If that doesn't work this year, if that doesn't work, there will be a gap. If Maryland goes to faceoff dot and kills them, there will be a gap. But if they answer those two questions, which I believe they can, at this moment, sitting here in November, I believe they can. I believe just talent, on, on a talent basis, I think Maryland is probably a two, three, four goal uh, better team than Rutgers. But if Rutgers can figure things out, 
certainly close to that gap. Moving on to the next question here. What are your thoughts on Carolina, uh, North Carolina? A lot of big-time losses. Can they stay as elite as they have been? So, for those of y'all who do not know, North Carolina went to championship weekend last year. Nay. They went to championship weekend. They beat Rutgers in the quarterfinals. And they fell to Virginia in the semifinals. Carolina, led by Chris Gray, who is back for the fifth season at the attack spot, third season at Carolina, started his career at Boston U. Carolina, they went 3-3, three and three, had a very good season. But they lose some very important players. They lose their entire midfield. William Perry, Tanner Cook, Justin Anderson. Everybody's gone. Everybody is gone. And then also, on defense, you get Colin Krieg back, but you do lose your best pole in Will Bowen. That's a lot of losses for one team to endure. And, like, before I I say any more, like, this part of, can Carolina stay elite? This is North Carolina, dog. This is the ACC. I don't expect them to do anything but stay elite, whatever that may be. Sure, Carolina had some down years before Chris Gray arrived. But they won a national title in 2016. Now, is this team maybe going to make a championship we can run this year? Looking basis on talent, does this look like the same team last year? No, because they're absolutely not. They're not the same team from last year. But they're still pretty freaking good. You still have Chris Gray. You still have Nikki Solomon. You still have Jacob Kelly. You lose Alex Trippy. You lose Justin Anderson. You lose Tanner Cook. Lose William Perry. You lose all these guys. And uh, Brian Cameron, I believe they lose as well. So, I mean, they, they lose a heck of a lot of talent offensively and defensively with uh, Will Bowen. But. Andrew Tyler's back at the face-off dot. Zach Tucci at the face-off dot is back. Colin Krieg is back. I think this is a North Carolina team that is still probably going to fight for that third bet, for that third spot in the ACC. That second, third spot in the ACC. This is still a very good team. They've got a lot of holes to fix, but again, this is North Carolina, and you know I trust Coach Brushy and his staff can address those issues and can fix those problems, can fill those holes 
where those holes need to be filled. So I wouldn't worry too much about Carolina dropping off, especially with Chris Gray. Like, if they were to lose Chris Gray as well as all those other guys, I would say, okay, this is going to be a bad year for Carolina. It's going to be a rebuilding-type year. You might want to lay off any kind of high expectations you might have. But that's not the case. That's not even remotely the case. Um, Yes, losing an entire midfield line is freaking um, monumental. That's a monumental change. Losing your best pole is a pretty big change. But it's not like they're losing their entire starting unit on both ends. They're still returning one of the best face-off duos in the game. So, um, it, if they can figure out that midfield, and they've got some good guys there in the pipeline that were coming up last year that played some time as reserves, we'll see how they do. I don't think their midfield will be as good as it was last year or the year before. It certainly will not be as good, will not be as experienced, will not be as talented. But this overall is still going to be a pretty good team. Um, They're still going to be a top 20 team. Like, I I don't think they drop out of that at all. Um, Championship weekend expectations, I would be wary of saying that, of saying that, you should have that for Carolina, but I still think Chris Gray, like, with Chris Gray, I, I I think anything is possible, like, to be honest, like, and not saying one guy is going to change the trajectory of a team, but we've seen in some cases it can, and I, I, I think Chris Gray just being on this roster increases the chance of this team being as successful as they can. Third and final mailbag question of the night to you. What is the next, and I love these kind of evergreen-ish questions here. Um, What is the next team to win their first national title? And what is the next non-ACC, Big Ten, and Ivy League program to make championship weekend. So um, the second part of the question, I'm going to add the Patriot League and the Big East into that as well. And I'm also going to add into the fact that, so you said first team to w- team to win their first national title. I'm going to add in kind of, um, you know, first team to make their championship weekend appearance as well. Um, and I'm going to answer this first part first. So, when you look at teams that have been there, have been close, but haven't won a national title, the number one team is Notre Dame. Like, it's clear as day. Notre Dame is the obvious answer there. Behind them, I think you could argue Penn State, Georgetown, Teams like that. Now, I think you could also argue that 
and this is not their first trip, but the next, you know, non-ACC Big Ten Ivy League team to make a championship weekend appearance would be Georgetown in that conversation. Um, which is why I'm omitting the Big East from that conversation, as well as the Pager League, Georgetown, Loyola, Lehigh. Lehigh would be in that first category, of first to do it. Georgetown, Loyola have been there. Loyola's won a national title. Um, Georgetown was just in championship weekend last year. Oh, excuse me, they were in championship weekend um, 1999. They came close last year, getting to the quarterfinals. They've got championship weekend potential this year as well. So, you could have that. In terms of teams to get there for the first time, outside of those conference I mentioned, conferences mentioned in the question, ACC, Big Ten, Ivy, and then adding in the Patriot League and the Big East, I, like, and I've had some people ask me this before, like, could Richmond get there? Like, I mean, they've been pretty, pretty dang good. Like, they've been pretty dang good um, against some of these teams. You look, they only lost to Duke by one in 2019. They've been very competitive. Very, very competitive. So I would say, like, Richmond is the first team that comes to mind. Like, looking in the America East, I have a very hard time seeing Vermont getting there. I know Albany's been there in the past, and those are some very, very special teams. I have a hard time seeing Vermont get there. You've had Delaware there in the past. UMass has been in the past. Towson has been in the past. You know, just at this moment, I have a very hard time seeing some of these other mid-majors get there. Vermont, if you look at the CAA, I think the, the, the next team that you would say that hasn't been there, Drexel, UMBC, you want to go back to the, uh, back to the uh, America East, or, uh, yeah, back to the American East, you have Stony Brook and UMBC. You know, um, I, I honestly just don't see some of these teams doing that. Unless the matchups go their way. Which oftentimes we don't see these matchups go in favor. These first round, second round matchups go in favor of these smaller teams. Delaware, when they made it, they upset Virginia. And then UMBC upset Maryland. So you had Delaware and UMBC in the freaking quarterfinals. I don't think anybody ever expected that. Like, that is a unique situation that allowed Delaware to get there. UMass, the year they got there in that title game against Maryland, that was a historic UMass team. Hofstra was also really good that year. Now, I can't see Seth Tooney, um, and, and nothing, nothing against Coach Tooney, but I, I, you know, 
John Donowski had some special teams, and it was a different era. I just don't see Hofstra in the Seth Tierney era, in this modern-day era, do, getting there. Um, they could have back then. They certainly could have. Um, and they, I believe they almost did a couple times. If you, Yeah, I mean, they made the quarterfinals, what? One, two, three, three times under Donowski. Uh, no, yeah, three times under Donowski. Last being in 2006, uh, which was, again, that year that UMass was so good. And you saw UMass and Hofstra, they played, because well, they played regular season and postseason, very good games. Um, and that was an 11-10 win for UMass over Hofstra in that game. And they go and they beat Maryland 8-5, to and they get smoked by Virginia uh, 15-7. to Undefeated Virginia team. Last last Virginia team to go undefeated. And then you know, a year later is when you have 2007 with Delaware. Um, will they get there? So, no. Currently, like in the current landscape, I you know, I just find it hard for any of these teams to get there. Not saying it couldn't happen. Not saying Richmond couldn't get there. Not saying Vermont or UMBC or Stony Brook couldn't get there. Um, and look, if you want to go back to Patriot League, I know I said you know nix them out of the conversation, but I, you know I think we had the question a few weeks ago: Could Army or Navy ever get there again? I said probably not, but those are once you get down the line. I think those are the next. Next two programs, you say. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, the, I mean, I mean, I could go through a bunch of these kind of second tier teams that are really good teams that I I, I just cannot see doing that um, in this current state. Now, if things bounce their way. If you get have a couple of special players, a really special team like Albany did um, under the Thompsons, and then later on with Connor Fields, if like if you have a very special run like that, that can happen. Uh, like UMass did, like Delaware did back in the day, that can certainly happen. Um, like Towson has, I just don't see it happening anytime soon. Um, so like. First time championship weekend contenders, I don't see happening outside of the ACC Big Ten Ivy League in the next three, five years. Not saying it couldn't happen, just don't see it happening. Um, now, outside of those three conferences and the Patriot League and the Big East, could a team make the championship weekend? Who's made it before? A UMass, a Towson, a Delaware, I think are the three teams you look at first. And I think it's that kind of crop of team that you look at. Um, I know some people have asked me before, could Bryant do it 
And look, Coach Pressler has had some very impressive teams. Got a good program up there. I can't see it. Can't see Hobart. Um, you know, very difficult to see. But not that it can't be done. Just difficult to see when you're just looking, taking it at face value. That is all for today's episode, guys. Again, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back right here again next Sunday for another episode of the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Remember to keep up with us on social media at Lacrosse Bucket on Twitter and Instagram as well as Facebook at Tanner underscore Demling is my personal on Twitter. LacrosseBucket.com is the website. Have a great week.